Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. On today's show, I brought on a special guest, Allison O'Shea. Allison's a leader in the aging industry with over 17 years of hands-on experience working with seniors and their families in the role of an executive director for various senior living companies. Her experience has given her the knowledge to be a reputable voice in the confusing and overwhelming world of aging. In January of 2022, Allison opened Openly Aging LLC. Through Openly Aging, Allison helps families navigate all the options and resources available to them. One of the missions of Openly Aging is to bring education to the community to be a change agent in how we talk about aging moving forward. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about aging today, just being around families and planning and finances. And I think it's an area that a lot of people probably don't look into planning early enough. Let's get started. What is aging? What is ageism? Um, and how do people contribute to it? Sure. So we obviously, it's, you know, we live in a society where we value youth more than we value age. But with that comes a lot of issues in regards to the lack of communication or talking about aging. 70% of Americans over the age of 75 are going to need some sort of assistance in their daily life. And that could be as simple as transportation to doctor's appointments, or maybe they have a pet that they need walking with. And it could go all the way up to help with daily activities of living, showering, toileting. So there's a wide range of support as we get older that we might need. And unfortunately, due to how we are in our society, we don't talk about it for various reasons. There's a lot of fear. People don't like to think that they might be dependent on somebody. But what then that creates is an environment of crisis. We create ageism for ourselves because by not talking about it, we get to a point where we have to have the people around us make decisions for us. We seem weak. We seem unprepared. Well, isn't that When we look at somebody who's older in that ageism idea is that they are weak, they need other support. Whereas if we maybe started talking about our ultimate plans before we got to that point and we let our support system know what our goals are in that area, we have more control over decisions that are made for us if that ever happens. When is the best time to start thinking about this or planning it? Is it a certain age? Is it when the first thing that might trigger, like you mentioned, walking a pet or transportation? And how does someone get started with it? So there's many layers to this. That's why I started Openly Aging. There's many people that will help people during the crisis or when times are getting tough and they can help coordinate care. My ultimate goal with Openly Aging is to be basically an aging advisor, kind of like you're a financial advisor. So you start meeting with your clients as early as they want to meet, and then you adjust plans or meet with them as often as they need while they move through their plans or their process. And that's how I look at this is, you know, the first step you should really, when you're thinking about your retirement and what that's going to look like for you outside of the traveling and all the fun stuff you're going to do is 
All right. Who is my ultimate support system? You know, a lot of times it's the adult children. If there's an adult daughter, most of the time it's that. Studies have shown most of the time, but that's not always the case. So when we're looking at making those early retirement plans, one of those questions has to be, who is my going to be my support system as I age or if something were to happen? Where do they live? Are they local to me or are they four states away? And will I move there? You know, maybe not now, maybe not in 10 years, but there has to be conversation about where and who is going to be that support system and really start thinking about that. So that can happen as early as when you really start thinking about retirement. If you don't have adult children that can take on that role, that is when you really need to think about a care manager, you know, and have forming relationships with somebody who will be that support system for you. I think like you mentioned about sort of attaching it to retirement, that way it's not like the sole focus on someone aging. And like you said, there's pushback and and reluctance to actually do it. But if you tie it to retirement, it's part of that planning. And probably I think people would embrace it more. You mentioned figuring out, okay, who is that support system? And then where are they? And probably some other info. But what do you do next? Do you loop in that support system? Or do you? how do you then take the next step once you identify? So I have a five-step plan and the support system is the first, You know, identifying that person. Where are they? Whatever. The second would be why you're really talking about that. What are your finances? You have to understand where your finances are at. There's no right answer to that and there's no bad answer to that. If finances are no concern, it allows for you to have more options. And there's communities called continuing care retirement communities. Those are the ones that you buy into. Um, They have all the levels of care. Many people are attracted to those. Well, those have 10 to 15 year wait lists. So your finances are going to be kind of important to decide what do we do wait lists on? If finances are a concern, there's a lot of free resources out there. But once again, they have 10 to 15 year wait lists, free caregiver services. So kind of like getting life insurance by looking at ultimately what could potentially be the next step and putting wait lists or putting your name on list is really important. The worst thing that will happen is especially for those free caregiver services, they call you and you don't need their services yet. And you just stay at the top of the line with the continuing care, same thing. They'll call you and say, hey, we have this you know, cottage or whatever available for you. Um, and those are just too kind of drastic, but there's a lot of other services in between that it's important to know what could potentially be and just have a plan in place for that. Is it at that point where you're running scenarios to say, okay, if this happens, this is the plan. This is how we'll afford it or pay for it, or we can't afford it. And is that at that Absolutely, stage? Is that you're because doing it? if somebody's ultimate goal is to stay home, that can get very expensive. Um, and everyone's ultimate goal, I think, in theory is to stay home, but we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. Um, but sometimes that doesn't always work out the best, but even staying home is expensive. And, you know, if you want to stay in the home you're at, say your support system's down the street, you have the finances and you want to stay in this home that you've been in for six years, does any work need to be done on it? You know, do you need to add an attachment for downstairs, you know, master bedroom? You know, those things you need to think about as you're starting this retirement process about the money and having those plans because staying home is fine, but a lot of people stay in homes that they have not even thought how accessible are they? Are they, are you even able to stay home? So that's why it's important because you have to start thinking about what you need to do. 
So, okay. So then once you iron that out and you kind of identify different options, different scenarios, what's possible, what's not possible, what, what do you do next after? Again, it is the knowledge that kind of goes along with the finance piece, but it's, you know, what are the options out there? Is it assisted Mm -hmm. living? And that's something, you know, financial planners help with kind of saying, here's what the market rates are for assisted living now. Let's just make sure we have everything in a tight thing. But then the fourth thing is the communication. Does that support system know that they're going to be your support system? (laughs) You know, does the daughter know that, okay, well, eventually we will move to her? Because number one, knowing that as a daughter would ease my anxiety, knowing my parents have a plan or saying, okay, if things get to be too much, we know we're, we're comfortable coming to live near you. Maybe we could start looking at potential places just so we have an idea. But also it allows the adult daughter or adult child or whoever the care support system is to say, okay, that's fine, but here are my boundaries. I'm not going to be your primary caregiver. I have a full-time job and two kids. I will not be able to transport you to every doctor's appointment you have. You know, So it just really opens up that communication. And it also allows for the older person to say, my ultimate goal is to stay in the house, even if it's not their original house, but maybe it's the condo they bought or whatever. So it allows the support system to have a kind of a general idea of the goals and be able to facilitate those goals as things happen and as somebody ages. So it just allows everybody to just be on the same page. Also, a lot of times there's other adult children that have opinions um, and maybe they're not the primary support system, but they also need to be told what the goals and the I hate to use the word dreams because that's not the best word, but what the ultimate goals are for their parent or their aging loved one. So they're hearing it from them because a lot of times siblings can disagree about decisions for mom and dad when really if the mom and dad had sat down 10 years earlier and said, here's what our ultimate goals are, it would ease a lot of the pressure in that family. Mm-hmm. And I know when we started out with talking about this five-step process, it was attached kind of to retirement planning. And then like I think it was the fourth step is the communication back to the support system. What percentage of this planning do you see actually flipped where it's spearheaded by the support person versus the actual person aging, coordinating everything? Yes. Yeah, so I would say when I started this company, my biggest clients have actually been the professional adult children um, because they are already used to outsourcing a lot of things in their home because they have to. So they're very okay to say, I need help with this because I don't know this area. So most of the time right now, it is the adult children. What I'm trying to do through this and when those adult children get to be in retirement age is hopefully through my message, they will start the conversation. But yes, right now, a lot of times I'm coming in after things have already started to spiral and we all kind of come together to get the plan in place. But what I find is the most successful plans and the most successful are when we catch it before the aging loved one is too far. I want them part of the process. Um, But yeah, so I think the generation right now was the generation that didn't talk about it. They just kind of assumed they would never need the care. So I think that will change in the coming years because more people are planning, more people are having to talk, have these talks or They've been a witness to their parents and they're saying, I do not want that to happen to my children. You know, the stress I went under. So that's the ultimate goal of openly aging is to be that change agent. This should absolutely be the norm. 
Yeah. You know, even with finances, everyone can put a plan together and yes. things change. How should someone adapt or how do you help someone adapt to, because inevitably things will change from what the original plan was. And that is step five. Okay. So step five is, are you listening to your support system? So sometimes it gets to a point where, you know, does your adult daughter, even if she lives down the street, want to come walk the dog four times a day? Is she able to go to every doctor's appointment? Does she have children in sports, you know, that are just overwhelming her life? So it's definitely also part of what I believe in is giving the the support system, the adult children, whoever it is, the confidence and the ability to know that it's okay to say, here are my boundaries. Here's what I can do. But if it goes outside those boundaries, we got to look at our plan and make some changes. The aging loved one needs to be able to say, okay, I hear you and I'm willing to make those changes. But if the communication has been through the whole time, those changes won't feel so upsetting because everyone has been communicating through the process. Being the executive director of senior living, I've seen so many adult children, even though their loved one was in assisted living, they still felt like they couldn't go out of town because somebody needed to check on mom every day. And so we have to make sure that as we're also not putting this burden of expectation on adult children, you know, when there's so many services out there that can help. And, you know, when I first did got into this and I've been doing some talks and podcasts, you know, a lot of people assume one of the main reasons was because older people aren't heard and we need to make sure they're heard. And that is true. And that's why part of my service will always include the aging loved one. But I do, I have seen so many times where the adult children have also not been heard and who have also felt such great responsibility and burden while also trying to raise children, take care of a marriage and just, you know, live their life that they've worked really hard to live as well. So that's why really having that communication is important for everybody's mental health. Yeah. I'm thinking you want to get in as early in that five-step process as possible. But Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you're getting in sometimes when things start spiraling. What do you do to get things back on track? So when you're dealing with an aging loved one that is heading toward crisis or it feels out of control, there's so much emotion. First of all, the roles haven't changed. It's still mom. It's still child. Even if physically child is taking care of mom, that emotional role hasn't changed. So I can go in no connection emotionally and just say, okay, what's the priority right now? And let's tackle that. Let's put a plan in place for that. And then we reassess in a week. And then once that gets organized, then we move on to the next. So it's really just taking a very overwhelming situation, looking at what is the most important part that is causing the most distress for the aging loved one or the adult child. And we handle that. And I, you know, pulling in services, you know, the senior industry is exploding. People have no idea the amount of services that are out there that help and support our aging neighbors. So having those connections and knowing, you know, those services and just really allowing the family to breathe one step at a time. And then we just keep moving until we have a plan that is at least a few years ahead of itself. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. You know, you mentioned how emotional this is and right. There's one aspect of the aging person proactively reaching out to someone like yourself. But on the other side of the spectrum, what if the support system is the one who's engaging you, but the parent is reluctant and pushed back? What do you do then to kind of move this forward? That happens 
all the time. And it's building rapport with that person. Most of my career was spent helping aging adults with dementia. And I've had many circumstances in my career where maybe a spouse has died or a child has died and the family has come to me very concerned about, should we tell, should we tell? And what I always say to people is you have to give this person credit for the coping skills they have had their whole lives. They have had trauma in their lives. They have had, you know, situations just like all of us, but they're 80. So think about that, you know, add to that, especially certain generations and the wars or the depression, you know, so those coping skills have to be validated and they have to be, and it's the same thing. It's okay to have a tough conversation with mom. And sometimes a third party coming in and having that tough conversation because of the emotions is the best way to do it. You know, so I go in and I meet alone with the aging loved one and I just talk very candidly. You know, here's the situation. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. What is your goal? What are you upset about? What are you okay with? And where are your limits? You know, if moving into a community or an assisted living just feels so scary, that's okay. We take it one step at a time, but it is, it's validating emotions and just having very direct conversations and giving somebody in their eighties credit that they can have those direct conversations. Sometimes we shy away because we don't want to upset somebody or we don't want to hurt somebody, especially if it's our parent, but they've had to have hard conversations with us before. So that's how I go about that is just coming at them as a, a, a very successful person who has dealt with harder stuff before and they can deal with this too. Sure. For that support system person, what are some signs that you know a parent may need more help? Some of the biggest signs are basically where if you're the support system, you're having to go there, you know, more often than not. Um, and not just for, oh, to visit mom to make sure she's okay. You have tasks when you go. Um, you know, maybe it is making sure mom took the medication. Maybe it's, you know, making sure to get her all the doctor's appointments that she has to go to, walking the dog, those little tasks. And now, of course, we're going to do for our parents what they've done for us. And, and that's fine. And that's fine. But those are kind of, that's when you really need to start thinking, okay, she really isn't able to live alone, you know, because without my support, she would not be able to manage. Um, so that's fine. The phone calls, if phone calls start happening, you know, a lot about everything. Um, maybe the TV got turned off and can't figure out how to turn it on. Computer stuff, if they were into computers. Those are just some signs that your involvement is about to get more and more. And so as the, as the support system, these are the times when you have to start thinking, okay, I'm fine with this for now, but you need to start realizing your boundaries because it's real easy to get wrapped in to one of the other points is you can't go out of town. If you, if you as the adult child cannot go out of town to enjoy a weekend away without making sure somebody's checking on mom or that you're calling her all day to make sure she took her medicine, that's also a sign, you know, but sometimes we do it and do it and do it. And we don't realize how much it's wearing on us. Um, and then of course it comes to the safety stuff. If we're having, not making great safe decisions, maybe we really aren't safe to walk the dog, but we continuously try to walk the dog, you know, those kind of things. Eating, are we getting a good meal or are we relying on other people to bring us a good meal? Those are signs. And then of course it falls. 
you know, falls are a big thing. And a lot of people disregard falls because they do happen. They're very unavoidable as we get older sometimes. But if we are having more than one fall every three months, does yeah. not safe feel. Mm-hmm. And how do you engage with someone? Is it, you know, you kind of bridge the gap from the support person to the parent, or do you have like a specific package where you do X, Y, Z? Yeah. You know, it's funny when I first started this business, I was doing these packages, but it, what everyone was so unique and their situations were so unique. So my services work on an hourly basis, but they're basically in 15 minute increments. So I have a lot of clients that'll just text me, Hey, mom fell today. Should I take her to the emergency room? You know, just easy stuff. Care management stuff is essentially what it is. Or I have a lot of families where mom and dad are moving from another state and I help them find their next location, whatever that be. So however, whoever brings me in to the situation, of course, I do a free consultation, kind of talk to them. I always do an assessment with their aging loved one. And then I basically do an assessment of here's what's going right. And here is not going well. And here are things that if they continue down this path, we need to start looking at making some decisions. And of course, throughout that whole process, I'm building rapport with the aging loved one. That is always going to be one of my main focuses is that as much as I have a relationship with the adult children, the aging loved one is also part of my relationship building. Even if someone does outsource to someone like yourself, people want information. They want to feel like they're, they have some control over what, what resources are out there that can kind of help with some of this stuff. There's tons. Um, you know, every community has a department on aging. You know, they have a lot of great resources. There's a lot of support groups. I think people do not use support groups as much as they probably should. There's like Parkinson's support group. Of course, there's, you know, dementia support groups, but there's also caregiving support groups. So caregiver stress is one of the worst stresses you can go through. It is more debilitating than the person who is actually causing you to be a caregiver because they're being well taken care of. And, you know, I have a client right now I went to visit and her husband, unfortunately, has had some pretty major medical stuff going on. And so within the last three months, he went from working out every day on his own to bed bound in their family room. And she doesn't know if how much longer she can take it. Well, a lot of my time with her is spent giving her the permission to be overwhelmed, to feel upset and to realize that she's got to start putting her own boundaries in place because her being exhausted is not benefiting him. And he doesn't realize how exhausted she is. So there's a lot of mental health support for seniors now that are coming out. There are groups or companies that will come out and cook meals once a week and put them in the refrigerator for you uh, just for seniors. So there's just so many, but the problem is, unless you know they're out there, it is hard to find. And every community is different in what kind of resources they may have to help people find those. But that's why, you know, contacting a care manager or, you know, an aging specialist like myself can help navigate some of those. Is there any government assistance to aging? I know a lot of people, though, the one big one that everyone says is, oh, Medicaid, I'll just go on Medicaid. But is there anything <laughs> else? I mean, and I know that's not as easy as it sounds right. uh, or, or that some people would want to do that. But what is there anything else out there that's from the there government? Is- Um, The Veterans Affairs, the VA, has what's called aid in attendance. 
Um, it is income based and you have to have served in the military one day during wartime, which for many people that's happened, but that is an application process too, just like Medicaid. So there is the VA, there's Medicaid, but Medicaid is, I mean, you have to have pretty low assets to be approved for Medicaid, as you know. So, but other than that, that is the problem is there is a big issue with affordability in senior care. I know that there's probably many groups working on that or looking into it, but right now the it is pretty limited and why the planning is so important to get on some of those free resources as soon as you can. Because most cities have a senior, ours locally is called PACE, mm-hmm. um, where they have the transportation, they help with housing, you know, but the wait list to get into that program is a long time. Sure. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. Allison, I'd like to thank you for being on the show today. You provided a lot of great information about aging. How best can someone reach out to you and find out more about what you do? Sure. I'd love for everyone to visit my website, openlyaging.com. I have some blogs there um, and I continue to put stuff. Uh, my email is allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot O-S-H-E-A at openlyaging.com. And just simple questions I'm here to answer. And I'd love to um, be able to help. And I do a lot of remote Zooms for families that maybe want to start having the conversation with mom and dad and maybe don't know how. I can bring siblings together through Zoom and then bring in mom and dad as well. And we can do a lot of virtual um, talks. Great. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Thanks again. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning. 